There's challenges that always are there in teaching God's word, maybe extra challenges in teaching the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, there's conflicting opinions of interpretations of what things mean and what's going on. There's a lot of confusion about the book of Revelation. And the confusion is a couple of, a couple of reasons is that Satan, he is the author of confusion. He's the author of division and deception, and he wants to deceive people, confuse people, because he knows the end of the story and how he gets his butt kicked, and he doesn't want people to understand it. So he brings confusion. But also, um, it's like, it's like if, you don't, if you don't understand and read the Bible, and then you get to the last book of the Bible, it's, it would be confusing just as if you would pick up a novel, and you just turn, turn to the last chapter of the novel, and you can read it, and you're, it's going to be confusing. Who are these characters? What's the meaning? What's the plot? What's the backstory? And, and you'll be confused in a novel because of the 66 books, Revelation is the last chapter of God's story. God's story started in Genesis. It goes all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, ends in Revelation. It's the story of God's redemption of mankind. God's redemption, I'm like, here's my story, here's my plan to redeem you and to bring you back into, into relationship with the Almighty God. Now, what happens in, in Revelation, it can be confusing if you don't understand the previous 65, because a lot, of, a lot of symbols and images and prophecies that take place are being fulfilled there were sprinkled through the previous 65 books. That's why you have to have a, a full understanding of, of, of the Bible. My job um, is to take something complex and bring it as, as best I can for you to understand. That's why I appreciate your prayers in this series. Now, there's rules of interpreting God's word that if you're new to Bible study, you need to understand these rules, especially this, this challenging book of Revelation. Here, here's rule number one. Don't miss number one, right? It's that it's not about what you and I think the passage means. It doesn't matter what you think it means, doesn't matter what I think it means. You read the passage, well, I think this means this. And we can be completely wrong and Satan uses that uh, to, to, for, for victory. So if it's not really, it's what the text says it is, what scripture says it means. That's what it means. And, and there's a phrase with rule number two, it's this, when you're reading scripture, it's this, when the plain sense of the scripture makes sense, or makes common sense, make no other sense. So a lot of times it, it means what it says. And if it makes common sense, then don't try to make up something else because then you'll go down all these rabbit holes and lead to confusion. Uh, rule number three of understanding, especially uh, interpreting Revelation is this, that the symbols in the book of Revelation are often found in the book of Revelation. He says something and a little bit later he describes and explains what it means. But when there's a symbol or an image that is not explained or just kind of appears, you'll see as we go through this, these chapters, often they are described in somewhere else in the other 65 books of the Bible, especially the Old Testament. That's why you have to have a, a fuller grasp of it so we can understand that. A lot of times it says it and then it says, and this is what it means. This is what it means. And then rule number four is very important. It's this. When we don't know 
it's okay to say, I don't know. And I'll say that in this series, like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that is. And I've tried all these different studies uh, and a lot of people, don't, they don't know either. Don't try to make something up or guess. Again, back to rule number one, it doesn't matter what you think it means or what I think it means. That's what God's word says. Now, we're gonna set the stage. Here's the first scene that we're gonna talk about today. Revelation, Revelation scene number one is this, that the scene is set. Warnings are given and God's patience has come to an end. Not God's patience is coming to an end. Book of Revelation, when it starts, God's patience is done with the rebelliousness and the evil of mankind. And it's, it hits like Mike Tyson hit times a million. God doesn't mess around anymore. And we're gonna see a little glimpse of that in chapter one. So go ahead and turn to chapter one of Revelation. I'm gonna read uh, the first eight verses and come back and unpack some of this. It says this, that the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place or suddenly take place, he made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, that's the apostle, apostle John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take uh, to heart what it is written in it because the time is near. Now this next section is coming from God the Father himself. John, to the seven churches in the providence of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits from his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him, talking about Jesus, be glory and power forever and ever, amen. Quote from Daniel chapter seven, look, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. That's very, when Jesus comes back, those who are on the earth hate him and they're gonna mourn when they see him because it's like, uh-oh, it's over. And he says, so be it, so shall it be, amen. God says, I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. Now, I'm gonna unpack this uh, for a first number of verses because it helps us set up the rest of the series. Look at, look at verse one on the screen here. Starts off by saying the revelation from Jesus Christ. This is a little hint. It's not called the book of revelations. It's revelation. The whole book is a revelation from, from, from Jesus. Now Jesus God, the Father speaks at times, but often it's an angel that is coming to tell John what to write and what he's gonna see coming from Jesus, but is a revelation from Jesus. Now the word revelation, again, it wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek. The Greek word and the, for, for revelation is this, apocalypse. 
That's what revelation means. And apocalypse means the unveiling of something hidden. It's been hidden, a tarp has been put over it. The Old Testament has hinted at it. Jesus in Matthew 24 hinted at it. Jesus in Luke 21 hinted at it. All these other prophecies in the Old Testament hinted at it. And now the tarp is ripped off and it's gonna come suddenly. And there it's gonna happen. Apocalypse, the unveiling of something hidden. Now John, poor John, he's like, what in the world? You know, look, at, look at verse, uh, verse two, he says, who, talking about John, who testifies to everything he saw. He also writes what he hears, but he testifies everything he saw. That is the word of God, God Almighty, God the Father, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This human being, John, is an older man now, one of the disciples, hung out with Jesus pretty much every single day for over three years. He is on the island of Patmos, and God says, I'm going to give you this revelation that you're going to, that you're going to put down on paper. So John does the best he can. He has seen things he's never seen before. He's seen things he doesn't understand. And, and all through this book, he says, it, 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 it's like this. I mean, he doesn't know exactly how to describe what it is. Well, it's kind of like this. It, it looks like this. It sounds like the rushing of many waters. I mean, meaning it is so loud. So he's doing as best as he humanly possibly can to put on paper what he's experiencing. It is absolutely mind-blowing doing the best that he can. Verse three gives us something that none of the other 65 books have. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take, it to, take to heart what is written in it. Now reading God's word will bless you. But in the book of Revelation, he says, blessed are those who read it aloud, who hear it and then apply it. Now, here, here's something that you need to understand. Satan is powerful. He's, he's a punk, but he's still powerful. But he is not God. He is not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. He has power, but he's not like God. He is not all-knowing. There's just a little hint, a little, 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 little self, you know, spiritual discipline hint. Sometimes you need to pray out loud when you're under attack. And one of the powerful reasons of worshiping out loud is Satan hates hearing the word of God. And he hates, hates, hates hearing God get praised. So when you are struggling and when you're, you know, kind of under, I think Satan's going after me or my family. It's time to start praying out loud, reading God's word out loud. He hates it. So he's saying, blessed are you who hear, right, aloud the words of this book. All right, or are you, are you read it aloud or hear it aloud and definitely apply it, apply it. I'll just say this, if you think you are a Christ follower because you go to church, but have never placed your, your, all your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation of your sins, you better apply, you better trust in Jesus before all this happens. It is horrific. As bad as the world is right now, there's nothing like what's coming. I think the most brutal thing is to hear God's word, reject God's word, or not receive it, and then go through what's going to happen. 
That's why it's called escaping the coming apocalypse. Escape it. Now, another something that you need to know is, is there repeats certain things, like the, like the number seven is, is repeated all through the book of Revelation. Now, me, words mean things, all right? You understand the meaning, it helps us understand the passage. The word seven is the number all through Scripture, starting in Genesis, is the number of completion. Uh, back in, in Genesis, it says, on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing. And then it goes on to say that he rested. He, he, he rested. Seventh day, completion. That, that's what it means. So we have, in, in the English language, we have a number, mainly a percentage, that we know when we say that percentage, it means completion. 70% is not a completely cleaned room. Amen, moms? All right, all right, 80% is not a clean kitchen. What is the percentage of completion? 100%, that's what it means. So when Jesus told his disciples, forgive your brother, and Peter comes up to Jesus like, hey, Jesus, 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 um, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? I mean, I'm sure you thought about that with your brother, right? How many times do I have to forgive my brother? Jesus said, seven times seven. It did not mean, okay, I need to forgive him up to 49 times. And after that, sorry, bud. What Jesus was saying, how, how often do I need to forgive my, my brother? Jesus was meaning 100% of the time. Does that make clear? Is that clear now? 100% of the time. So when I was studying this, I went, I wonder how many times is seven mentioned in the book of Revelation? I see it a lot. And so I, I did some research. It's not when seven is repeated, like seven churches, and it says, again, seven churches, not repeating something that's already been said. So I went and studied, and guess how many times seven is mentioned in the book of Revelation? Seven times seven. 49 times. God loves the number 49. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I, gave you. I gave you a hint last week. You add 49 plus the streets of gold in heaven. If you want to be closer to Jesus, you will love the 49ers too. Okay. All right. I'm just, just kidding. All right. There won't be a lot of humor in this series. I had to throw something out. All right. But I thought it was amazing just to help you to understand all of this. Now, we're going to jump into when, when John encounters Jesus in this revelation. And he hears him and then he sees him. Now, I got to understand, John knows what Jesus looks like. But the Jesus that he encounters, you know, with all of his heavenly glory and all the power and everything, John is blown away at the sight of his friend Jesus. Pick up in verse 12. John writes, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among them, among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire trying to describe this event. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice 
was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I don't know if he fainted or he faked like he, he was, like he's fainted. He was so overwhelmed. He was then, John said, then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mysteries of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstand is this. He's telling them what it is. It's the seven stars. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Again, the scene is set. He's going to give in chapter 2 and 3 the warnings to these churches. But God's patience has come to an end. Who, um, who John saw, he knew it was Jesus. He knew it was the Son of Man. But how Jesus was displaying his glory and his power and his presence blew John away, dropped to the ground, either fainted or faked like he was dead. It was overwhelming. What he witnessed and who he saw was Jesus, but it was warrior Jesus. It was Judge Jesus. It was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords Jesus. And that's who he'll be through the rest of this book and then into, into eternity. And it was overwhelming. Now in chapter two and three, seven, it goes through the seven churches. Now I'm not going to unpack every single church in detail in this series because I already did that a few years ago. And we had titled that series, Seven Churches. Really complicated. So if you go to uh, YouTube and you search for uh, Grace Point Kitsap, that's our YouTube uh, kind of channel or, or where all of our videos go. I encourage you to subscribe because then you can just quickly go there. On the top is recent videos. Down below are recent series. And this summer on Thursday, it was Throwback Thursday, and we, we, we posted... And people reviewed the seven church, churches series, and it's right here. You click on that, and all six are there. I go into detail, and other pastors go into detail of what it is, and you can find it there. Now, here's what I've learned in past years, and it's been affirmed by other um, authors, pastors, end-time um, experts, is that the seven Churches represent, if you're taking notes, represent periods of time in church history. God often does that in, in the Bible. The seven, the complete churches, um, uh, uh, represent a periods of time in church history. And I want to walk you through that. Um, and it's not all in your notes. So you have to, if you want to, all you note takers, you can finish the page and then flip it over. If you run out, run out of places to write, the person next to you is right on their arm. All right, are, although churches today and back in time have had issues of one church or, or another, these periods of time represent uh, from this time to this group, 100% of all the churches and you gather the 100% and it pretty much averages out to one conclusion and Jesus addresses those in chapters two and three. Now, before I walk you through this, 
Uh, my mom gave me this book. Uh, she's always given me, that's what moms do, always giving me things. But she said, of all of the years I've been a Christian, this, this book has really opened my eyes to under, understand scripture like I've never understood. Because it's coming, it's called The Lion of Judah from a Jewish rabbi, Kurt Schneider, who has accepted Jesus Christ, but he brings complete Jewish perspective, understanding the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And, and what I learned in this is I find, found super interesting because the seven churches are Gentile names of Gentile cities. When the church was started, when Jesus said, I'm gonna start my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it was primarily Jewish people that the church started. And then with persecution of the church, God meant to persecute them so they would scatter outside of Israel and began to go throughout the, the Roman Empire. The church with, with, uh, with the gospel and with the apostle Paul, the church became Jewish with Jewish people and Gentiles. I'm a Gentile, meaning I'm not a Jew. It's anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. So the church went from Jewish people primarily to now a combination. Paul talks about this a lot, about the Jews and the Gentile. They're one in Christ. But then it became completely, almost completely Gentile. From Jews only, primarily, to a combination of Jews and Gentiles, to primarily, even up to today, believers in Jesus are primarily Gentile. What helped me in this book to understand from a Jewish perspective, the same time, almost the same, I think could have been in the same year that the book of Revelation was penned by John, there was a council of Jewish spiritual leaders along the coast of the Mediterranean. This council was called the Council of Yavne, Yavne. And the re reason why they gathered together, because it's 90 AD, and, and they don't know what Jewish, being Jewish means anymore. Being Jewish, you gotta understand, it's not just a heritage uh, of blood, it's, it's a part of their religion as well. And being a Jew for centuries and centuries all revolved around the temple, priest, and animal sacrifices. And Jesus prophesied that one day that the, the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed and not one stone would stand upon another. And in 70 AD, it happened by the Romans. And the Romans uh, killed thousands and hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million plus Jews. And Jews scattered and were taken off as slaves all throughout, there's a prophecy in Ezekiel that this was being fulfilled. They were scattered all over the world. So now Jewish people without a temple, without priests, without animal sacrifices at the temple, they didn't know how to be Jewish. They didn't know how to pass being a Jewish down to their children. So they gathered and said, well, what are we going to do? So they said, okay, we're going to take the Torah, we still have that, and we're going to we're gonna make up new laws because we can't say bring this sacrifice. We can't, okay, we're gonna make up brand new laws in place of the sacrificial system that was done away with. And then we're gonna teach them the oral laws and it kept expanding over time to, to and then more, more rules and more rules and they put them all together called the Talmud in about 200 AD. And this was like, this is how you are Jewish. Do all these things. 
But in this council, the same year or so that the book of Revelation was given to John, that council had a theme. It was anti-Jesus through and through. Pretty much they came to the conclusion, if you're going to be Jewish, you cannot believe in Jesus as Messiah. Incompatible, you can't be Jewish and follow Jesus. Got to understand that that council was the sons and the grandsons of the religious leaders that hated Jesus and killed him on the cross, thinking that they were put him to, to bed. But then he rose from the dead because he was Christ. He was, the, he was the Messiah, the Son of God. So the sons and the grandsons now gathered out to sing, okay, we gotta, we gotta do these things so we know now to teach and how to be Jewish and teach it, but you cannot accept Jesus as a Messiah. So from that point on, that's why the church became pretty much primarily Gentile. Even to this day, there are Jewish people that they tell us, and I'm seeing these videos all over the place, that you, can't, you, can't, you cannot believe Jesus is Messiah and be Jewish. Most Jews don't believe that Jesus was even Jewish. That he, they believe that Jesus hate, hated the Jews. They are told not to read the New Testament, even to this day. The reason why I say that is because in the book of Revelation, God is reaching out to the Jewish people again. And they're going to repent. And there's going to be revival and a restoration of relationship with God. But these churches are all Gentile names of Gentile cities. But God is all about redemption. And he is continuing to, he would continue as he's done all through time to continue to reach out to the Jewish nation to love them and to forgive them for their sins. So I say all that because I think it's helpful information. Plus I love history and I had to share it. <clears throat> so the seven churches, seven time periods. Here, here they are. The first one is that Jesus talked about in chapter 2 was Ephesus. Ephesus. And, he, and, he, and this is the, the lost love church. And, and you know, after you know, the church got started, it, it, it kind of flourished and it was going to Corinth and Athens and Paul was writing all these things. And they're talking about it's, it's turned over the world upside down. But around 90 AD to 170 AD, I'm not sure if you can read that, the church cooled off. They cooled off, you know, and, 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 and Jesus in Roman, I mean, so Revelation 2 talks about you've lost your first love. You have the right doctrine. You're teaching the right things. You're even doing the right things. But where's the love for me? Where's the love for each other? You've lost your first love. And that's pretty much typical of that time period of a church who had lost their first love. The second church Jesus talks to is, is Smyrna. Smyrna. Now, out of the seven churches, Jesus confronts and warns and condemns five of them. Smyrna, uh, uh, Smyrna is not one of them because they were the persecuted church from about 170 to 312 AD. This was a time where Jews, I mean, Christians were hunted down like animals. They were, they were arrested, brought into arenas, and they were put in front of all these wild beasts and wild animals, and they were, you know, shredded limb from limb and killed and they were burned at the stake. It was, it, it, it was very, it was incredibly dangerous to be a Christ follower. This period was known as the time of intense persecution. Church has always been persecuted, but this was on steroids. Polycarp was a church leader at this time. Polycarp was discipled by John the Apostle 
at Ephesus. He was a young, young man. Now when he's older, all this persecution, it's been documented and written what happened and what he said. He was a, 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 a church leader and now he finds himself standing in front of an amphitheater of people shouting at him, deny Jesus, deny Jesus, deny Jesus. And it was recorded what he said. He said, 86 years I have served him. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? How can I do that? Well, then wood was placed around him as he was tied to a stake and they began to light it on fire. The crowd was going crazy. This was awesome to them. And his last words were recorded saying, he said this, I thank you that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour, that I may be a part of the number of martyrs to die for Christ. So that time period was a time of suffering, suffering, suffering. Then there's Pergamum. Jesus talked about the church at Pergamum and it was a compromising church, 313 to 606. Well, something significant took place in 313. The Roman emperor, Constantine converted to Christianity. It was a radical thing. He, first thing he did was legalize Christianity. It was no longer illegal to be a Christ follower. And what happened over time is, as now Christians kind of came out from the shadows and it was like, oh, we're not hunted anymore. Oh, we're accepted. Oh, this feels actually pretty good. Oh, we have a little more freedom. Well, that freedom led to compromise as Constantinople would gather some church leaders and say, I want you to watch all these baptisms. And he would bring entire legions of Roman soldiers to be baptized, but they were being baptized at the end of a spear. You baptize, you, you're baptized, you're going to be a Christian or you will die. So now everything turned. Constantinople took pagan temples and converted them to Christian churches. Constantine, sorry, Constantine took pagan holidays and Christianized them. All this compromising actions. And then at one point, Constantine assumed leadership of the church. And the unholy alliance of church and state happened. That period of time was a time of compromise, great compromise for the church of Christ. Then there's Thyatira that Jesus writes about in, in Revelation 2. And it's the adulterous church. From six, uh, 606 to about 1520 uh, AD. Because there is an appearance of health. There's appearance of godliness. There's appearance of this is, it's all about, about Jesus. But underneath the appearance, it was a cesspool of greed, idolatry, and pride. There was a hunger and thirst for power and money. And they started, the church started doing all sorts of things that were, by Jesus referred to, like, you're, you're, like you're, you're such an adulterer. You have left me in pursuing other people. I mean, it's just, this is not what I started the church for. And there, Jesus says in, in Revelation 12, not every, all of them were, were uh, you know, practicing this. That's what he said. Some of you who are not doing this, he says to hold on, hold on. Now, in 1517, the Reformation started. 
One of the reasons why the Reformation started with Martin Luther was like, wait a second, you, we have to pay money called indulgences. We have to pay money for some, we can pay for someone's salvation. Even someone who has died, I can pay the church money and they can go from, you know, from hell to heaven. It was a huge financial scam. That, that's kind of, that and other reasons why the Reformation started because of what was being taught all over the known world. Then there's Sardis, the dead church. People stayed about 1520 to 1715. There was the appearance of godliness, but there was no heart behind it. There was, you know, a, a living off the past success and the church is not being persecuted and we look good on the outside, but we're dead on the inside. Christianity was like, became a norm. People were saying they were Christians, but they weren't Christians. Churches were not teaching God's word. History was more important than a heart. Then the, the next church, the, the second church that didn't receive any condemnation by Jesus was the church at Philadelphia. And this is known as the missionary church from 1750 to 1925. In Revelation 3, Jesus talks about the church, the church of Philadelphia. He says, I place before you an open door. It's like an opportunity to spread the gospel. And between uh, 1750 and 1925, there was global evangelism, missionary work exploded around the world. Revivals were here in America and in Europe and South America, revivals everywhere. The open door took place and Jesus was shared and people got saved or repented and came back to Jesus. Famous people such as George Whitfield, Hudson Taylor, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, George Finney, and D.L. Moody. And I would even add Billy Sunday here in America. And then we get to the last church, Laodicea, the lukewarm church. They say it's about 1925 to present day. You read in chapter three, Laodicea, Jesus had some pretty harsh words. His words describe really, if you put 100% of the churches together, it describes pretty much the sum of the whole. Rich and lazy. That's what Jesus said in the Revelation. He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but you are neither. You're lukewarm and I want to spit you out of my mouth. Spit you out of my mouth. He also said this, you say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. And Jesus said, but you did not realize that you were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. John Stott says this about the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church was a half-hearted church. Perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the 20th century, and I would add 21st century church than this. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath of religion. Not a compliment. 
So if you're looking at the seven churches, all these churches, all these churches, all these churches, the last church is the Laodicean church. And I believe that's where we are today. Now here's the significant thing as I wrap up. The church is last mentioned in Revelation with the Laodicean church. Chapter three, verse 22. Now at the very end after Jesus explains what's gonna happen and then even heaven, then Jesus says, now John, take this message to the churches, all right? But really the church is really last mentioned. Chapter three, verse 22, then the wrath of God comes. I believe, like we talked about in our first Thessalonians series, is that the church is not here because the church was raptured to meet the Lord in heaven or in the clouds, go to heaven and we'll come back with the church at the second coming. I don't believe, and I talked about this, that God is gonna take his bride, his church, through a bloody hell called the tribulation. Something to think about. Escaping the coming apocalypse. A lot of kind of setting the stage but we'll pick up next Sunday at the throne room of God. Would you pray with me? God, I ask again that you would help us as we go through this series. I also ask that you would help people who think they know you but have never surrendered, that they would trust in you so they do not have to go through what's gonna come. That could begin soon. Lord, help them to escape the coming apocalypse. Lord, help us to understand And Lord, I also ask that you would protect Grace Point Church, and I pray even extra protection on me as we teach this series. Because Satan is not happy when it's taught. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You were a very good class. You all get happy faces on your paper on the way out. Thank you. Again, pray for me as we go through this. Um, Just want to say if you're our guest today, um, welcome to Grace Point. Go to Grace, sorry, go to guest services. We have a gift for you. Um, please come back for more as we begin to unpack what these things mean. And again, if you're married, if you're engaged, or even if your spouse is out to sea or out, I'd encourage you to, to sign up even today for our marriage series. I know it would be a blessing and help to you. May God bless you. Hope to see you here next week.